Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. So for those that don't know me, my name's Andy. Um, you've already seen my mugshot on the uh, screen a minute ago. Um, married to Becky, who's in with the kids at the moment. And um, you're very welcome to come to our community group because it's the best one. Yeah, we're playing that game now. Um, so um, before I speak, I'm going to ask Claire to come and read our passage this morning so you don't get too bored of hearing my voice. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung him, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Thanks, Claire. Um, Who likes biographies, reading biographies? One of my favourites is... um, I think it was written by someone called Ray Coleman about John Lennon, who was one of my, still is one of my heroes. Uh, but as a teenager in particular, John Lennon was my absolute um, hero. I didn't know. I wasn't a Christian then. Uh, and um, when you look at the Gospel of Mark, and we've been looking through the, the Gospel of Mark now for about a year or so, um, it's a biography of Jesus in, in many respects. But the structure is really unusual because Jesus lived for, for 33 years, roughly, and yet Mark says nothing at all about the first 30 years of his life. He's silent about this. And then he, he, breaks, and then he rushes through the next three years at a completely breakneck speed. Um, and then he slows right down and focuses on the last few days of Jesus' life and then ultimately his death. And as for a biography, the amount of time spent focusing on, on the person's death is completely disproportionate. Um, I don't know how many biographies normally would do that. And there's certainly ones I've read. They don't tend to focus on their, their dying days. Um, 
But that's what Mark does. And not only that, but actually in all the bits leading up to these last days of Jesus' life, he makes it really clear he's always dropping hints in that actually the key thing about his narrative account of Jesus' life is that Jesus is going to die. It's the cornerstone of the entire story. And actually, Christians, we can seem to have a, a disproportionate focus on, on Jesus' death ourselves. Um, I'm not really an expert on other religions. I, I've not really studied anything um, like that since I was at school. But what I know is that most religious leaders or founders aren't revered for their deaths. Yet the entire Christian faith is centred on the death of Jesus Christ. In fact, the very symbol of our faith, the cross, is the thing that he was killed on. And this morning we're going to look at why Jesus' death was so important through the lens of this story from the night before he died. Um, most Bibles are referred to this section um, in Mark as the Last Supper, which it was. Um, but the, the thing that Jesus instigates, the sacrament that he instigates on this night, um, which we still follow 2,000 years later, is, is normally known as communion or the Lord's Supper. I'm going to call it the Lord's Supper as we go through because it sounds a bit more um, important, I guess. And most of the stuff that I, I read in preparation for this referred to it as that. So we're going to look at four things about the Lord's Supper and how it helps us to remember. So we're going to look at what, it remember, what we remember, why we remember, how we should remember, and then what does it mean for us? So what? So what are we remembering? I've already given a bit of a clue in the introduction about to answer this question. But in order to really understand what's going on and what Jesus is doing here, we need to understand a little bit about the Passover. Now, the Passover is a, is a famous event in Israel's history. It's um, recorded in the book of Exodus. And the Israelites had been enslaved by the Egyptians for generations, and they'd been treated really badly. And God had sent Moses to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh kept refusing. So God sends a number of plagues on the Egyptians to show his power and to exercise his judgment over them. And, and the Passover is a meal that the Israelites ate the night of the final and most shocking plague, which was the plague of the firstborn son. And each Israelite was told this night to kill and eat a lamb and to sprinkle its blood over the sides and the top of their doorposts. God says to Moses, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. This night means this night, every single household in Egypt had either a dead son or a dead lamb. And such is the, the gravity of what happens, it's what causes Pharaoh to let the Israelites go, and it leads to the exodus. And God tells the Israelites to remember this event, remember this act of salvation by eating this Passover meal every year. And not only are they meant to eat this meal, they're commanded to explain the story and to remind themselves why they're eating it. Um, Moses um, tells the Israelites um, uh, in Exodus 12, when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? You tell them. It is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. So what was the meal? Well, the first thing was bread. It wouldn't have quite been like this. It was um, it's called matzah, unleavened bread. 
it's unleavened because it has no yeast in it. Yeast is a, is a raising agent. And, and the reason why it would have had no yeast in it is because it didn't have time to let it rise. They also had some wine. This is an alcoholic wine, which we'll be using later. And of course, there was also the lamb that they, had to, that they ate as well. And this was the meal that the Israelites ate that night and still eat every year to commemorate the Passover. And it's the meal that the disciples and Jesus are about to eat together in our passage. And what would happen in, in the Passover um, meal would be there'd be a, one person would be called the presider of the meal. And they would serve the food and they would also explain what was happening and why they were doing, effectively doing what Moses commanded them, explaining the story. And at the start of the, the storytelling part of the night, the presider would say, this is the bread of affliction that our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let all who are hungry come and eat. Let all who are needy come and celebrate Passover. This year we are here. Next year, may we be in the land of Israel. This year we are slaves. Next year, may we be free. So when, when the disciples sit down to the meal, this is the third time they've had Passover with Jesus. They would have been expecting Jesus to have recited this or something similar. Um, it's probably what he did the previous two years. But instead, he picks up the bread and he holds it out and he says, take this. This is my body. This would have blown the disciples' minds because it would have been quite clear what Jesus was doing. He's saying the Passover is really about me. The great salvation that we're celebrating and that we reenact, the Exodus, it points to a greater salvation, the greater Exodus that's going to be brought about through my death. Um, it doesn't say in, in Mark's account, but in Luke and Matthew also um, recall this, this event. And, they, and Jesus says in those accounts, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, Jesus tells us to remember his death. And it's one of the only things he actually tells us to remember in the Gospels. And that's why, as, as, as Christians, 2,000 years later, we celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper. We take bread and, we, we, and wine or juice. But when you think about it, it is slightly odd. I mean, I said about biographies and how you don't tend to focus on the death. And, and history is, is full of the stories and exploits of great men and women who have done incredible things. And when we remember them, we tend to remember... Um, the things that they achieved, maybe they were military leaders or political leaders, or maybe their talent, maybe they were artists or, or had great sporting prowess, or maybe they were wise and, and great teachers. Uh, one of my favourite um, people in history, uh, characters in history, is the Emperor Augustus. Um, he lived just before Jesus did, and he was probably the most important and greatest Roman emperor. Um, and he was someone who really cared about how he would be remembered when he died. And so in 13 BC, he, he commissioned uh, the building of, um, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, the Ara Pacis Augusti, the altar of Augustan peace. And the imagery around this monument makes it clear that what he wants people to see is that he is responsible for bringing peace to the empire and that he is responsible for Rome's ascendancy to leading this gigantic empire, which was to stand for hundreds of years. And it makes sense. All of us are going to, like, will die and we want to be remembered for the good things that we do. 
not for how we died. <laughs> now, if I was in Jesus' situation and I'd done all the things that Jesus did, I'd probably be tempted to say something like, remember when I raised Lazarus from the dead? That was pretty cool, wasn't it? Or remember all the healings that I performed? Um, or remember all the great teaching, and especially the times when I used to school the Pharisees in debates? But instead, Jesus says, remember my death. Remember my body broken and my blood poured out. And this wasn't any ordinary death, because we know the nature of his death. He, he dies naked and penniless on the cross. We know that crucifixion was the most humiliating and shameful way to die. And the time of the early church, I mean, the Christian, early Christians adopted the cross as a symbol of, of, of their faith. But it was an offensive symbol to people, because the cross was a horrific and shameful thing. It was a method of torturing and killing the very, very worst criminals. And yet, the early church glories completely in the cross, unashamedly adopting it as a symbol of their faith. Why would they do this? Why did Jesus place such an emphasis on his own death? Why did the early church, and why do we do that today? Why was the death of Jesus so central to his mission? Why do we remember well, perhaps a better question is, why did Jesus die? Well, the answer is in verse 24, where he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. The, the word for here is, is really important because it's probably better translated as on behalf of. So, so Jesus is actually saying, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out on behalf of many. Um, people often ask, why did Jesus die? And you might often hear people say, Jesus died to show how much he loved us. But I don't think that's actually true. Let me explain why I don't think that's true. Imagine you meet somebody and you realise that you love them. Um, it was a long time ago that I met Becky, but you know, I did, this is what... Um, it, let me start again. Imagine you meet somebody and you realise that you love them um, and you tell them, you pluck up the courage to tell them. I still remember when I kind of made my um, approach to say to Becky that I wanted to go out with her. Um, it was a long time ago. And I'll tell you what I didn't do now. What I didn't do was say, here, let me show you how much I love you. Get a lukewarm response and then set myself on fire or jump off a cliff. If I'd have done that, do you think Becky would have thought, man, he really loves me? No, she'd think I was an idiot. Because simply dying for someone doesn't show that you love them, unless that death is completely necessary. Without reason and purpose, dying for somebody is pointless and foolish. But when you die in their place... It's completely different. You see, Jesus didn't die to show us he loved us. He died because it was necessary for us to live. And this is what we call or, um, substitutionary atonement, the idea that Jesus took our place on the cross. And he did that because he loved us. Right? I, you know, obviously, Jesus loves us, but he died for us because he had to and he, he wanted to save us. But unless his death was 
to replace us, then he would have been a fool. Just like the person telling a girl that they loved him and killing themselves. And we'd be even bigger fools for following him. So if we say his death was necessary for us, then why? Why was it necessary? Well, let's think back to the Passover. On that night, those people, that, those, those households that killed the lamb and sprinkled its blood on their doorposts, they were admitting something. They were admitting that without the blood of the lamb, they would be on the receiving end of God's judgment. Because if you think about it, God doesn't judge the Egyptians and, and spare the Israelites. He judged those who didn't have the blood of the lamb covering them. This isn't about what nationality they were. It wasn't about what kind of lives they'd led, whether they were good people or not. Everyone was in the same boat. No blood, no salvation. It's important to realise that during the Passover, God is not simply judging the Egyptians because they mistreated the Israelites. God is judging humanity for its sin. Because the Israelites who were covered by the blood were just as guilty, just as deserving of punishment as the Egyptians who had enslaved and mistreated them. During a Passover, a lamb, unless the lamb died and you took refuge in it and put your faith in its blood to save you, you would die the death that you deserve to die. An, Egyptian, uh, an Israelite that didn't put the blood over the door, they would have died. An innocent lamb died that night for each person who didn't. So when Jesus links himself to the Passover, he, he isn't just saying, I'm the bread and the wine. He's also saying, I'm the lamb. And unlike in the Passover where each firstborn son who was spared was, was spared by a, a, a single lamb, one lamb to one person, Jesus is able to say that I am the lamb whose blood is poured out for many. Jesus is the one lamb for many people. And this is the basis of our faith as Christians, the central message of the gospel, that, that Jesus' death, his blood was shed to establish a new covenant for us. And that the nature of this covenant is completely different to, to what religion teaches us. Because religion teaches us that you have to behave. It's about what you do to commit to God. If, you, if you're good, you're fine. Whereas, whereas the gospel of Jesus tells us that it's nothing about what we do. It's about what he's already done. It's about God's commitment to us. It's about that God loves us and replaced us by pouring his blood out for us. Because like the Israelites, under the blood under the doorpost, we realise that it doesn't matter what we do. Without the blood, we won't be saved. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond to the death of Jesus? And how does the Lord's Supper help us to respond? Well, Jesus dying is not enough to save you. The fact that Jesus died doesn't save you. You have to reach out and take it. In the same way that if you're starving to death, looking at a meal on the table won't stop you from starving to death. You've got to go and help yourself to some food. You have to reach out and take it. That's what Jesus says to the disciples. He doesn't just say, this is my body. He gives them the bread. He tells them to eat it. 
in order for his death to mean something, to actually activate for you, you have to reach out and take it. That's why Jesus says elsewhere in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, the Lord's Supper, communion, acts as a signpost to help us remember and to reenact the gospel in the same way that the Israelites remembered and reenacted the Passover. It reminds us of the salvation that we have taken hold of, that Jesus has given to us. It's our active mental act of remembrance. And when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we're somehow joined to his death. And that means it's more than just symbolism. I'm not going to argue for transubstantiation for anyone who might be any theologians among you worrying. Um, But it does say in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, it's not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give a thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ. And it's, not the bread of the, and it's not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. Participation, the word used is koinonia, the Greek word koinonia, which means to communion or fellow in. So we are participating, we are joining into Jesus' death when we take communion. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, we're taking hold of everything that the cross, everything that Jesus' death, everything that means for us and remembering what it signifies. We're taking hold of and trusting in God's forgiveness over us. We're taking hold of the truth that Jesus is alive and is going to come back. Which is why he says in in verse 25, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruits of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to come back. And when we remember through the Lord's Supper, we remember that Jesus is going to return. And this all sounds a bit hard to understand um, and, and quite... Um, quite heavy. So consider what, what John Calvin said. And John Calvin was a clever man. Um, he says that the Eucharist or the, the, the sort of the Lord's Supper is a, is a secret so sublime for my mind to understand or words to express. I experience it rather than understand it. We don't necessarily have to understand all of this, but we can experience uh, we can experience through the taking of communion. And if John Calvin doesn't understand it, I've got no chance. I am nowhere near as clever as John Calvin. I can just quote him um, and look smarter than I actually am. Um, so lastly, I want to look at three ways that the Lord's Supper can help us this morning. Firstly, the Lord's Supper tells us that Jesus is sovereign. We haven't really had a chance to look at the early part of this passage where, where they prepare the Passover meal. Um, but when you look over it, you can see that Jesus is in complete control of everything that goes on. The room's already prepared. He knows he's going to be betrayed. He controls the timing as well of when he'll be betrayed. It's all meticulously planned. The cross... He is sovereign over the cross. He chooses to go to the cross. He could have got down at any moment, but he chooses not to. Jesus is in complete control over the entire situation. Do you feel sometimes that the world is out of sync? Do you read the news and just despair about the state of the world? Jesus is sovereign over world affairs. Jesus is sovereign over coronavirus, over climate change, over world leaders, 
He's in control. We can take comfort in knowing that he's in control. Does it feel like your life is going wrong? Do you look at the circumstances that you're facing and and ask, why? Where is God in all this? Well, when we take the Lord's Supper, we remember that Jesus is sovereign over each and every one of our circumstances too. Even if it doesn't always look that way. And often it doesn't feel like Jesus is sovereign, does it? There are times when we suffer, there are times when things go wrong and we, we really feel that that's not true. To the disciples, the cross didn't look like victory. The cross looked like defeat. And when Jesus died and the disciples have all fled and abandoned Jesus, they, they would have been thinking that the whole world was over. But they'd soon come to know that the cross was victory. Jesus is sovereign. So when we take the Lord's Supper, we are putting ourselves under his wings, trusting that he will make all things work together for our good and for his glory. Secondly, Jesus understands our suffering. It doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to us. Just as Jesus being sovereign didn't mean that bad things didn't happen to him. You can look at what Jesus endured, the the brutality of the cross. Um, People say, what what does God know about suffering? Or how does God care about suffering? But the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the only God with scars. Jesus was betrayed and abandoned by those he loved. Judas, he spent three years with Jesus. Jesus loved this guy, poured into him, and he betrays him, hands him over to be killed. The rest of the disciples flee when Jesus is captured. Peter denies him three times. And ultimately, Jesus Jesus suffers more than just the the physical pain on on the cross. He's separated from the Father and judged for the sins that he's carrying on, on his shoulders, our sin. If you've ever felt abandoned or alone, or if you've ever suffered, we know that Jesus has suffered too. And when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we remember that that we have one who's gone before us, a glorious God who has the scars, who understands and sympathizes with our weakness. And lastly, we are dead to sin. The Lord's Supper reminds us that we have died to sin. We haven't died in a way that Jesus died, but we died to our sin. Because only by dying can we be born again, can we live again. Um, Romans 6 sums this up. Paul says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that a body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we die, died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. Do you feel bogged down by sin in your life? Does it feel like you're circling the same drains over and over and over again? Well, when we we take the Lord's Supper, we are joining in his death and resurrection and reminding of ourselves of the victory that we have over sin and that we are alive in Christ. And we can trust that God's grace is is there for us, that he forgives us when we mess up, 
because the things that we do wrong don't define us. They're separated from us. They have no hold over us. We are new creations in Christ. We have a new spirit. Being stuck in, a, in negative patterns of behavior can, can feel like being in prison sometimes. But the Lord's Supper reminds us that the chains have been taken off and we're free to walk out the cell. So in a moment, we're gonna, we will take communion. We will take bread and juice. The way we do that here is we, we dip the bread in the juice. It's gluten-free. Um, so you don't need to worry about any allergies. And when we do that, we remember everything that the cross signifies. Everything that Jesus' death means for us as Christians today. And that's why it's, it's only for those who follow Jesus. If you're here this morning and you, don't, you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, then let it pass you by. Because it's a family meal for those who have accepted and live under the blood of Jesus in the same way that the Israelites did under the Passover lamb. But maybe this is the opportunity for you to think, is this for me? Do I want to reach out and take? The offer that Jesus made to take his body and to eat it, to share in his death, is open to you this morning. And Jesus is calling you and says, my, my grace and my forgiveness, my love is here for you. Reach out and take it. And maybe the act of taking the bread could be your act of saying, I want this. This is for me. For those of us who, who will be taking, it's a great opportunity as we, before we go in, into taking communion to just reflect, to search ourselves, to ask is there sin that is entangling me that I need to claim victory over and say, Jesus has defeated this sin in my life? Are there areas where you're suffering and you need to hang on to the fact that Jesus has suffered for you and that Jesus is with you and for you?